Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Lloyd Matheson. For decades, congressional hearings were a critical part of legislating and the legislative process. You had expert witnesses, objective testimony, lawmakers left with the best quality information they could possibly get in order to make good decisions for the American people. Of course, I've complained regularly, loudly, that we should really change the name of the hearings because no one's hearing anything because nobody's listening. We have uh, far too many members of Congress that are just using it as a platform uh, for their own performative uh, efforts to get clicks and appearances on cable news networks. Uh, But according to some new research, this is really troubling to me, committees are actually hearing uh, from fewer and fewer witnesses. So why is that? And how is that impacting the process? Kevin Kostar is a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and co-editor of Congress Overwhelmed, Congressional Capacity and Prospects for Reform, and joins us on the line now. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Boyd. Uh, I think this uh, uh, this thing you uh, put out in terms of reform, I, I think is so important. Uh, and I love the fact that you you noted that uh, it, w- it met uh, and the modernization of Congress met uh, and uh, probably nobody heard about it, uh, probably because it was actually done like a hearing is supposed to be done. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, media tend to not want to cover good news. They don't tend to want to cover competent government because it comes off as boring. <laughs> right. It's much more interesting uh, to them to cover massive cock-ups by government and outrageous behavior. So, yeah, the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress, which is very competent and is beavering away in a bipartisan way the last few years to try to upgrade the institution for the 21st century, you know, it just keeps chugging and doing good things. Yeah, and I think that's so important, uh, and I love the fact. It, I mean, these are the these are the folks that actually do the hard work and heavy lifting, far away from camera lights and and microphones. Uh, so, tell us what have we found in this process of looking at how can we modernize Congress, in particular, the use of witnesses. What are you seeing, and what's the solution to that? Yeah, what we've seen is kind of a a process which worked once uh, devolved into too often, as you described, kind of a a circus environment that's made for made for TV. Um, You know, members of Congress are all amateurs. Anybody can run to be a member of Congress. You don't have to be some policy wonk. And when they show up and they are thinking about making a law, well, they're on a committee. And if they're going to I should probably hear from people who know something about the subject matter um, and who might be affected by any law that they make. So the old hearings, 
And, you know, back in the 70s, Congress held tons of hearings. They would hear from tons of witnesses. You know, it's outrageously high number. I think it peaked at like 32,000 witnesses in one year back in the 70s. Wow. Now, not so much. It's down to a little over 6,000 per mm-hmm. year that they're hearing from. And it's not like government's getting any smaller. Yeah, exactly. It uh, continues to expand. And, and uh, again, as that coverage, is, as lawmakers kind of shine the light on themselves or grab their social media moment, uh, you also pointed out something that I think is, is a little more subtle, but it's also the fact that there are a lot of witnesses who are just shying away from hearings uh, because they don't want to be part of the spectacle. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the relationship between the legislative branch and the executive branch has is, is gotten really toxic. Um, you know, you have people who, you know, maybe they work in the Department of Transportation or some other bureau, and they've got expertise that, that's worth sharing, but they don't want to show up because one side of the aisle, you know, who opposes the president, whomever it is at the time, uh, is just going to find an excuse to rip on them in front of the cameras. Um, and who wants to go through that? Yeah, exactly. And so ultimately that uh, makes Congress less informed. <laughs> and less likely to get to the right kind of decisions, the right kind of legislation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, ultimately, to some degree, betrays a a fundamental mission of Congress, which is it's supposed to be depolarizing the country. The Mm. idea is you've got all these diverse interests and they, they don't agree with one another. So you have these interests represented in Congress and you have a bunch of people who, you know, bargain with each other and come to some sort of agreement that everyone can live with. And instead, what you have is, uh, you know, members of Congress using their position as an excuse to rile people up. I mean, the Rand Paul Anthony Fauci. Yeah. Uh, you know, what are we on? Death, death match number seven <laughs> or something like that? How many That's times right. have you been called for the committee? <laughs> That's right. And they have become just shouting and growling and oh. <laughs> That's right. These cage matches are not it. I, I want to go back to something that you said that uh, I think we all need to hear again. Uh, and that is that the role of Congress is to help depolarize the country in terms of where we are on important issues of policy. How do we how do we really make that happen again? That's a good question. And in part, it's going to require members of Congress to simply make a life choice. You know, is is getting clicks uh, and showing up on you know MSNBC or Fox Media, you know, the highest goal in life, or is it to you know make the country a better place, you know, for your children, your children's children? Um, the second thing is we you know, we should probably look at ways to alter our election system um, so that we don't have a process that so favor so heavily favors uh, people who are rabid partisans. You know, you want to get elected as a Democrat, you got to typically run through a Democratic Party primary and you better hit all the litmus tests or you're not going to get the money. You're not going to get the support support from the small number of Democrats to show up in primaries. Same goes on the GOP side. We don't have to run elections like that. Mm. We can Uh, do it some other way. Yeah, I I think those purity tests are uh, what are driving many of the American people away from engaging in the process. Uh, one of the other things that you mentioned, I just wanted to wrap up on on this thought, uh, was that, you know, really making this choice of whether the party leaders are going to lean on committees to get some real good policy information, uh, the best decisions are made on good information, uh, or whether they just want to, you know, continue to have members run their own bills based on really catchy titles and things that they can score points with for their own reelection. 
Yeah, you strike on an important point. Um, it used to be the case that committee chairmen were powerful people in Congress and that, you know, when they worked hard on getting, you know, bipartisan agreement on a bill, that bill could probably be heard, uh, get a vote on the floor and move on to the next chamber. Uh, now, not so much. And so, you know, you have committee chairs who just make the rational decision of life. Why do I want to put years of work in trying to do policy and do it right? I might as well spend my time just, you know, using my position to raise money for reelection and to raise my profile, yeah. polish my hand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin Costar, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, the co-editor of Congress Overwhelmed, Congressional Capacity and Prospects for Reform. Such great insight. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, sir. All right. Uh, when we come back after bottom of the hour news, what does Chinese disinformation look like? We're going to look at some multi-platform campaigns pushed by the CCP. We're going to find out about all of that coming up next. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.